0: It is wonderful to meet all of you precious saints one more time in this new year I met you last year and I'm meeting you again in this year Amen and I want to sincerely thank our dear Pastor White for his kindness for inviting me back in your wonderful church I hope you people are not getting bored of seeing me no are you really sure okay I hope so maybe two times is not that much you know but after three times or four times you may think the same face over and over again will not you think like that no <laughs> you know I was uh, praying and seeking the Lord very much concerning what he would have me share with you during this momentous time that we are gathered before his holy presence. This kind of privilege and freedom that we have in gathering freely to come to worship the Lord or to hear his word, you know, the Bible tells us are numbered those days are numbered and there is coming a time of persecution like the world has never seen before and the persecution that will come in the last days will make what happened in the past pale in comparison to what is going to come ahead. and there will never be any likes of it to compare to the past so if that is the case not only a persecution but the Bible also pre- prophesizes a famine of the word and a famine of the teachers of the word so you have three kinds of persecution one is persecution in general for our faith secondly a famine of the word so which means this bible is going to become outlawed thirdly there's going to come a famine of the teachers of the word so if that been the case what are we going to do how prepared are we for that I was looking. I was looking at my notes you know I have a habit of writing down in my diary whatever visions that I see or any visitations I have with the Lord and whatever he communicates to me I just write them down so this afternoon I was just flipping through my diary to record of a visitation I had this morning and as I was flipping My hand just accidentally flipped through a particular page and I looked at what I had written there based on what the Lord had revealed. That was some many months ago. And the words were this. A persecution is coming, but my people are not prepared for it you know that is a very very staggering and a not a very pleasant word and this comes from the lips of the lord jesus himself he said a persecution is coming but my people are not prepared they are not ready for it you know when we talk about persecution it's not about that we cannot buy or sell that you stock stock up your basement with all end time food supplies that will last you for another 50 years not those kind of stuffs you know it is a persecution of the faith so when the persecution of the faith comes how many christians world stand how many when there is a famine of the word then where will you go for the word now we are becoming so dependent on the teachers of the word nothing wrong you know there's many wonderfully anointed blessed apostles prophets pastors evangelists teachers and we should add another another category psalmists, anointed worship leaders who can wonderfully lead us into the presence of god who receives songs from the lord songs that are sung in heaven they bring it down on the earth to teach the body of christ that's all that is good when you become overly dependent On just the external things to boost your faith or to help you to reach out to God. That when the famine comes and there's no teacher, then who's going to help you? If in good times we are not going to get ready or prepared, what will we do in the famine? you know a wonderful clue can be taken from the Old Testament when the Pharaoh saw or he was shown about seven years of famine that was going to come preceded by a seven good years so the spirit of wisdom resting upon Joseph gave him a wise counsel what to do with the situation so Joseph was given the counsel to save up all the grains during the seven good years store them up put them in a fixed deposit account or put them somewhere stack away a large chunk of the extra harvest that was going to come and when the famine came the whole literally the whole world came to Egypt for food And because they have already stored up, saved up extra food in anticipation of the warning that God had given to them. The whole world survived. You know, but in contrast, the Christians of today, they are behaving just like the people who lived during the days of Noah. what is very peculiar about the people who lived during the days of noah they despise the warning that was given to them you know the bible tells us it took noah 100 years to build the ark and for 100 years he was also simultaneously preaching because the bible calls him a preacher of righteousness he was preaching Repentance to the then known whole world, but the people who lived during his times made fun of him. They scorned at him, they scoffed at him, they call him a liar, they call him a false prophet because he was prophesizing a flood was going to come. You know, till then. It had never rained on the earth. So, it was very difficult for the people to imagine water coming down from the heavens. They could not imagine because such a thing has never happened before. So, how are they going to imagine water is going, going to come down from heaven and the whole world is going to be flooded? They couldn't imagine. You know, even if you cannot imagine, Even if you find it difficult to believe. The greatest testimony. Of the impending judgment. Is the physical ark. No one can deny that. You cannot deny that. Because if Noah did not believe. The message that God gave him. He would not have built the ark. The the physical presence of the ark. Was itself condemning every one of the people so that they were without excuse there was a physical ark there and even then after all the clean animals and unclean animals had gone into the ark the bible says the patience of god waited for another 7 days so there was another plus seven days of grace extended to the people after the animals have all gone in see the animals got the first class seats (laughs) you know why because they believed when Noah called them they believed you know animals have an instinct to know God right they can see have you heard of animals seeing angels you know cows have that ability horses have that ability horses have I mean dogs if they can see evil spirits they can see angels right let me give you one good example In the year 2007 i was visiting a pastor in jacksonville florida so one afternoon i was having tea with his family and they have a big dog huge big dog and the dog has a way of welcoming visitors and when i entered their house for the first time this dog came running and lifted up his leg And he pounced on me and he stood taller than me and I almost fell down with the weight of the dog you know I'm not uh, I don't hate dogs neither do I cuddle them like a lover I I don't hate them I don't love them I just I am just okay with them okay you know so and uh, after that first welcome from the dog i kind of stay away from him you know <laughs> so if he's in the living room i stay far away from him if he's in the kitchen i try to go to the living room so he has his space i have my space but that particular day as i was having tea with a with a pastor this dog came out from nowhere and he put his head on my feet. I was getting fidgety, you know. Because now I couldn't move to the left. I couldn't move to the right. I can't even move my legs to ease myself. Because his, fe- his face is right on top of my feet. And I thought, if I'm going to move a little bit, you know, he's resting himself on my feet. And what if he suddenly bites me? So I was holding on, sitting perfectly still. (laughs) You know, (laughs) then something strange happened. An angel of the Lord appeared before me. And the angel, when I saw the angel, instinctively this dog lifted up his head and looked at the very direction where the angel stood. And he looked at the angel and then he looked at my face and then he looked at the angel again and he looked at my face and I told the dog we, we spoke in the spirit I said just keep quiet <laughs> you know as soon as I said that the dog put his head on my laps and he was so still and so quiet he never said a single word <laughs> so they can see so they can see evil spirits they can see angels of God and if they can see angels of God if they can see the evil spirits obviously they can also see the Lord Jesus Christ everybody agrees because it's all in the spiritual realm you know so everything anything in the spiritual realm is visible when your spiritual eyes are open Amen. so all the animals went inside the ark and God's patience lingered on for another 7 days waiting for the people to repent at least learn something from the animals that's why King Solomon wrote go to the end you sluggard so go to the end look at the birds in the air Look at the way of the eagle see they were all pointing us to learn some common sense from the animals because we don't have any so go and learn from them but sadly the people were obstinate and stubborn at heart refused to believe even the final warning that was given to them and the floods came Before the floods came, it first started raining. Now once it started raining, then they believed that whatever Noah said was all correct. But you know what? Too late. It was too late. And the scripture says, and the door was closed. Not from the inside. From the outside. God closed the door have you ever wondered why it was closed from the outside and not from the inside it's because of this you know men, no matter how hard they can be there's always some soft spot in them right there's always some soft spot so God knows this when the time of grace ended. So God closed the door, and He made sure it stayed closed. No matter how much you cry, no matter how much you fast and you pray, once it is closed, it is closed. It'll never be open again. Man may try to open. Especially pastors have this great, wonderful heart of compassion, you know. All pastors have that. No matter how hard they are, they have such a genuine heart of compassion. They'll always open the door to anybody. You know, our pastor told me earlier that um, the people kept coming for, to this conference so much so they couldn't handle the registr- registration. So he told me they decided not to register any people. See, that's a pastor's heart. Let everybody come in. <laughs> Even though they had forgone the registration fees, that would be, in a sense, a loss, right? Monetarily, it's a loss. But he couldn't care less about the loss. His heart, all pastors' hearts are like that. Very, very fatherly, very, very tender shepherd's heart. They want everybody to come in so that all can be blessed irrespective of whether they pay the registration fees or they don't pay that does not mean you don't pay right he may not say that i'm saying that so if you haven't paid the money please go and pay your money but god closed the door from the outside no matter how much you cry It will never be open so during these good times of peace during these times of wonderful grace when there's so much of opportunity it will be very very prudent and wise for us to strengthen our faith grow in the faith Grow in wisdom, you learn to talk to God directly, and you learn to hear from God directly. So that during the times of persecution, when you are hiding somewhere in the basement, in the dens, in the jungles, or in these Moravian mountains, somewhere you are hiding you can know how to talk to god and you know how to hear from god and receive from god counsels this is the goal and this is what god asked me to share with you during this conference so as i was praying and seeking the lord what i should speak to you or what I, what is the will of the lord he spoke to me this morning this This morning, about preparing oneself for a visitation with God. That is the theme of my message. So, He gave me four parts. So, part one today, part two tomorrow, part three the day after, and part four on Sunday morning. So, you have to be here on Sunday morning don't pack your bags and leave on saturday (laughs) if you pack your bags and you leave on saturday you will miss one very important concluding part but i know many people think like that oh doesn't matter i'll watch online you could but nothing like personally sitting here right nothing personal you know i'm a great soccer fan anybody here soccer fan oh wonderful only two only a few people it's okay all those people are putting up your hands i understand you of you are coming from soccer loving nations americans don't like soccer you like football it's okay it's still it's still related you know see the common is a ball soccer there is a ball Rug, I mean football there is a ball anyway what am I going to say why did uh, I it slipped off my mind what wha, huh? ah yeah thank you thank you okay soccer you know I love watching I love playing soccer in my younger days but I also love watching soccer important tournaments you know like next month that's going to be don't miss that okay (laughs) the world FIFA Cup it comes once every four years and this year they're going to play in Russia so anyway so I love watching those matches on the TV because in the TV you can watch from different angles you know rather than you go to a stadium you can only watch one view you cannot watch from all view so there is a pastor that I a good friend of mine in England so he loves to watch a soccer match in a stadium so I asked him why do you like to do that I said I like to watch it on the TV and he said you know that the difference is this when you are in a stadium with ten thousand, twenty thousand people all cheering and shouting at the same time there 's such an anointing there. <laughs> you know, not spiritual anointing <laughs> but just normal, the feeling you know the, the feeling you see pastors, believers, they will always use Christian terms for everything, you know they like to christianize everything. So even a good feeling, it's called anointing. <laughs> so they said, there's such an anointing. You know, you are part of the crowd. You gesture. See, that's what it is when you are here in person. See, you are in the anointing. From the, on the internet, the anointing is still there. But not like in person. Right? Alright. Okay preparing for visitations now we are praying for revival i'm sure you have a church prays for revival you pray for revival in a nation and you also pray for a personal revival a church prays to have an encounter with god a nation prays to have an encounter with god And it can also be translated for an individual to have an encounter with God. But it doesn't come automatically. When God says, I want to visit you. When God says, I'm going to pour out a revival. When God says, I want to visit you. He also will tell us how to prepare ourselves for it. If we don't prepare ourselves for it, if God comes down as He is, His presence will kill us. Because He is a holy God and we are not holy. His very presence, even the slightest 1% or 0.1% of His holiness, it will kill us. So that is the reason why God, in His great goodness, Doesn't show himself. We, in our foolishness, we pray, Lord, manifest yourself, show yourself. We don't know what we are asking for. You know? We don't know what we are asking for. And God, in His great goodness, withhelds Himself from showing because we are not ready. We are not ready so how shall we prepare god wants to visit you he wants to visit your church he wants to visit your family he wants to visit you as a person we are nearing the end for the coming of the lord and before he comes visibly for the whole world to see him he will first visit his church he will want to first visit his own people so that every one of his own people have an encounter with him you see him with your own eyes you have that encounter that is what God wants to do and that is why he told me to teach you on this subject so that a people A remnant people can be made ready for a visitation of god amen Amen. so this first part concerns god's visitation to the whole of the nation of israel at mount sinai the bible tells us in exodus chapter 19 verse 2 that israel the nation israel had come out of egypt and they traveled for three months and they came and camped at the foot of mount sinai you know when i read that i wondered why would it take them three months because you know every summer we have been doing a conference in Israel for the last 10 years. And on three of occasions, the Lord had us do a conference both in Egypt and in Israel. And on those three occasions, or rather two occasions, He had us do a conference at the foothill of Mount Sinai. So from Cairo, the capital of Egypt, we take buses and we travel to the foothills of Mount Sinai it is a six-hour journey by bus so even if you try to walk it won't take three months maybe a few days or maybe a week but not three months so I pondered this why it took them three months you see it's not just one person or two persons who's, who's walking it's 3 million people. The, it was a, a minimum number of 3 million people came out of Egypt. 600,000 men. Men in the Bible always refers to married men. So 600,000 men plus 600,000 women, their wives. That's how many? You're not good in math. 600,000 plus 600,000 1.2 million right all right so now you have 600,000 families let's go by the minimum number of two kids per family but in those days they have a tribe you know it's not two kids let's just go by the minimum two kids so 600,000 families two kids per family how many children Ah, you are really very bad in your math <laughs> oh look at you oh my god i should also teach you math <laughs> so 600,000 families 2 kids that's 1.2 children 2 million so 1.2 million children 1.2 million men and women 1.2 million plus 1.2 million is how many million? Oh, finally <laughs> finally the reason is because it's easy no 1.2 plus 1.2 so 2.4 <laughs> so there's 2.4 2. million now that's just a minimum number so that it could be larger than 2.4 million so I just take an average round up to 3 million so 3 million people newborn babies and old people plus their donkeys and their cows and their cats and their dogs everyone came out of egypt so obviously they cannot walk very fast so they have to walk very slowly because the old people they can't walk very fast so it took them 3 months to come to mount sinai now when they came to mount sinai they camped Below the mountain. And the amazing thing is. Prior to this. When Moses got his call. The Lord told him. In Exodus chapter 3 verse 12. That. After they come out of Egypt. They were going to worship God. At this mountain. So which meant. Listen they had an appointment with god even before their deliverance they had an appointment with god god made an appointment with them or since the body of christ is called the bride god made a date that sounds nicer huh Mm. god dated her and gave her a date of appointment on this particular day i will come to meet with you to talk with you so it was a time of appointment so they came and they waited for god now when god calls you to come and meet with him or if he says i want to meet with you you must take the time to come and wait on him wait for him you don't just have an attitude like if god wants to talk to me he knows my address you know it is a very very irreverent way of saying like that i've never ever heard i'm sorry to say this it's only in america that i've heard people say like this if god wants to talk to me he knows my address extremely rude extremely irreverent that kind of a speech shows an attitude of arrogance shows an attitude of disrespect and shows an attitude of dishonor to the Holy God. You know, you can never bring God down to our level. You cannot. The sad part today is we try to make an image of God after our own likeness. That's how we have imagined God today. Not imagine, we have created an image of Him. That he's just like us in his incarnation as the son of God he was like us actually you know he was not like us we are like him in the first place because the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 that God made us in his image and in his likeness so in this physical form that we have We take on from god so the lord jesus christ came flesh and blood like us but that's not how he is today his form as a son of god flesh and blood was only for 33 and a half years after that he retained back his original divinity as god You know, you look at the contrast between how you see the Lord Jesus in the Gospels and how the Lord Jesus is shown in the book of Revelation. It is the same John, you know, the same John who saw the Lord Jesus Christ for three and a half years. He says in John chapter 1, we handled the word of life. We handled him. We touched him. We ate with him, we slept with him, we walked with him, we talked with him, we rejoiced with him. We were eyewitnesses to everything that he did. The same John, who always lies on the bosom of the Lord Jesus. That was his favorite resting place. That same John. Now, when he had the encounter on the island of Patmos, he says, as soon as i saw him i fell down as one who was dead why what's the difference it's the same john john did not change it's the same the lord jesus that he was seeing but there's a difference now the, the jesus that john saw much earlier was the son of god in the flesh but the jesus that john now saw. Later is different He's the Lord God who is God of heaven and earth He couldn't even stand before him. He fell down face down before the Lord Jesus Christ This is who your God is The Holy God this is the attitude we should have in us now God comes looking for us to call you to come and meet with him. So, when he calls you to come and meet with him, what should you do? Now, look at where the children of Israel were. They were in the desert, in the wilderness of Sinai. Now, what is a desert? A desert is a place of barrenness, emptiness. There's nothing there except for cactus and rocks and stones and sand nothing else dwells there not even a animal nothing there barren emptiness it's a desert place a place of nothingness so what does that mean if you want to meet with god the first thing you should do is Come to the end of yourself. Come to the end of yourself. That is your desert place. Come to the end. You must come to the place of emptiness. That is why you know sometimes God waits for us. Until you are totally drained out of yourself. Of that I ability in you. You know, all of us, we have something in us that we are the masters of the universe. We all have our own universe, right? You have your own world, you live in your own world, your own universe. In that universe, you, are, you want to be the master. It is extremely difficult for us to let go. We cannot let go. We don't want to let go. We want to be a master of our destiny. We want to be a master of our universe. We want to be a master of our life. We cannot let go. You know, that is the attitude of Lucifer. You know, there is a wonderful man of God called John Milton. He wrote a a play called A Paradise Lost, Paradise Regained. So in the play Paradise Lost, actually, you know, he saw visions about heaven and hell, and then he wrote them into the play. It's not just a play; he actually saw visions. So in one aspect, one part, he says, Satan fell down from heaven, and he landed on earth, and he looked up at God. He pointed his fist at God, and he said, "Better!" To be a master in hell than to be a slave in heaven look at him even after falling down instead of repenting he says better to be a master in hell than to be a slave in heaven that attitude has been transferred to us in contrast you look at the lord jesus He was the master of heaven But when he came to this earth He emptied himself Of all his glory Of all his divinity And humbled himself In the form of a man Taking on humanity You know this flesh Is tainted With the law of sin and death And the lord Jesus Willingly volunteered to take upon this flesh this flesh in heaven is not like this when you are in heaven you will see yourself you will it will appear that you have flesh you have bones you have everything but it is not bounded by the law of sin and death it is bounded by the law of spirit and life it makes a difference there but he chose to put away all that and take on this flesh bounding himself subjecting himself to death see look at the contrast so i am sure you want to imitate the lord jesus more than you want to imitate the devil don't you if you want to imitate the lord jesus then the first thing you need to do is let go there was once a man of god who was sent by the lord jesus to go to a certain village to do evangelism work so this was during those times you know where there was not much electricity available in the rural villages so this man planned himself to go to that village preach the gospel and then return back to his home before sunset and uh, he 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 traveled from his village he had to cross a high mountain go down the valley and he reached the valley and he did the work of the Lord and there was a great result that came out of his work and by the time he left that village unfortunately the Sun began to set so he feared that because he has to cross a high mountain cliff which is very narrow and there's a deep ravine if he falls down, not even his bones can be recovered. It's very that deep. That's why he wanted to come back earlier. So unfortunately, the thing that he feared came upon him. Before he could climb up the cliff, the sun has already set. Now, he, did, he didn't even have a torchlight. So he had to literally walk by faith. So you know, during my ministry travels in Tibet, I've experienced the same thing. Sometimes the path in the mountains are wide enough for you to just put half your feet. I once walked around a mountain. I think that was the most scariest experience in my entire life. I don't even want to imagine that. I My foot rested only half On the mountain path and then we have to hold on to the mountainside and just put half a feet to balance yourself and we were at 14,000 feet above sea level one misstep and you'll fall down and that will be the end so this man walked carefully trudgingly and you know whenever you are in the dark most people like to do one thing they like to sing a song to hide their fears don't you do that yeah you all do that you know we all do that right so you either you want to whistle or you sing a song we do all that because we are camouflaging our fears with all that not because we are very spiritual people (laughs) so as he was walking again the thing that he feared came upon him he missed a step and he fell down. And he fell down and he lifted up his hands and he cried out, God save me! As he cried out, his hand clung onto a branch. So God save him, hallelujah. That's what he thought. So he was clinging, clinging on to the branch. And he thought, praise the Lord. God save me. But, how long are you going to hold on? Right? How long? You know let me tell you one thing right now in our worships when we are not holding on to any branch where our, our hands are not pulling our weight it is so difficult for us to lift up our hands to worship god amen everybody why are you all silent <laughs> we can't even lift up our hands when the bible says lift up holy hands We don't even lift up our holy hands What we do is We bring them up to half level Half level And some people are like the mummies The Egyptian mummies They do like this They just lift up their hands like that And show their palms Godwards Like they just stand like this I don't know why they are doing that I've observed this many times either this way very few people all the way up most of them this way this way this way some this way just like this (laughs) you see we laugh at our foolishness but don't you know that that's exactly what we are doing in our worship we just stand like this sometimes just lifting up the hands just like this I have seen all these comedies in the churches you know (laughs) I don't laugh like you I feel ashamed see how much we are insulting the holiness of God so now doing all this is too difficult for us now look at this poor preacher he is now holding on to a branch and after some time the joints at the elbow are going to be painful right because he, his body weight is being pulled down so when he began to feel the pain on his shoulders and his wrists and his hand he began to cry out to God he said Lord I didn't choose to go to this village you told me to come now please save me from falling down as soon as he prayed he heard a voice saying let your hand go. He looked around <laughs> and he was pretty sure it was the devil. So he rebuked you, Satan. Be gone, you shall not tempt me. So everything was still and quiet. And as and when his hands began to feel the pain again, he cried out to God, Lord why are you testing your servant shouldn't you have great mercy on me please help me so after his voice had faded off he heard another voice son let your hand go he looked around (laughs) and he was pretty sure the devil was lurking around the corner and again he mustered his courage And he said, In the name of Jesus, I command you, Satan, tempt me, Lord. You know why he said all that? He remembered what he did to the Lord Jesus in the Gospels. Because the devil carried him to a high mountain, and the devil told the Lord Jesus, Jump down. Remember that? See, he remembered all that. He was as wise as you people are, (laughs) he knew the scriptures so he didn't want to do the devil's bidding so he began to cry unto god lord why are you why have you forsaken your servant lord again he remembered the prayer of the lord jesus so he cried why have you forsaken me why 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 for the third time he heard the voice son let your hand go and he cried, Lord, if I let my hand go, I will fall down. And then the Lord spoke to him, Son, if you don't let go, how can I help you? See, if you want God to hold you up, you must let go. You don't hold on to your branch. You must let go, then God can hold you up. Right? See? This is our problem. We always want to be masters of our universe. We always want to be in control. We cannot let go. If God tells you, let your church go, you don't want to let go. Let your ministry go. You don't want to let go because you will lose control. We always want to be in control. Now, to be in control, is the attitude of the devil to let go is the work of god you see when god created man and woman he let go of creation and he entrusted them with the power and the authority and the dominion he transferred everything over into their hands though they were still very young they were just newly born one day old although they were instantly had the stature of a 30 year old person yet in their innocency of their mind they were just one day old and god let go if god can let go why couldn't we so in the wilderness why god brings you to the wilderness So that you will learn to die. How else to kill you? When you are surrounded with comforts, it's difficult to kill you. So how to kill you? When you don't want to crucify yourselves in good times, so how is God going to bring you, draw you to himself? So he brings you to the wilderness. Whether you like it or you don't like it. See how good God is. Right? He answers your prayer even those which you don't pray. So he brings you to the wilderness. He strips you of everything. Empties you. Makes you one zero. You lose everything. You lose your business. You lose your career, you lose your church, you lose your ministry, you lose everything and you are stripped of everything like a molting eagle. Have you seen a molting eagle? Of course, not not in person, in pictures. Have you not seen? When an eagle goes through the molting season, it plucks off all its feathers and its talons are all fallen off its big falls off and the the majestic eagle looks like one bloody mass of an ugly thing it's totally stripped of everything whatever beauty that it has it's all stripped off everything an eagle goes through the stages of molting in its life many many times Until it finally dies, but when it goes through the molting it comes out of it Better stronger and faster just like Superman Like a speeding bullet Faster stronger better so God brings the children of Israel into the wilderness Coming to an end of yourself to seek God. If you read Mark chapter 6 verse 31. The Lord Jesus brought his disciples to a wilderness. To become a sight, So that they could talk to him. Away from all the mundane of normal life. And we also read that he himself before he began his ministry. Was led by the Holy Spirit. To go into a wilderness. To fast for 40 days. In Matthew chapter 4. Verses 1 to 2. Why didn't the Holy Spirit lead him to a secluded village. Or a secluded house. Where he can be surrounded with some. Amenities. And then he fast and pray. He could have. You know when you have all your amenities with you temptation will be at the greatest point no matter how much you would want to put them away you'll be so tempted as soon as you get up in the morning switch on your phone and look for the Wi-Fi anywhere you go you know today we have our lives Wi-Fi has invaded our lives and it has become like our soul we cannot live without Wi-Fi right anywhere you go the first thing you want to ask where is the Wi-Fi I did that this morning you know as soon as I entered into the house I came last night so I was too tired to look for the Wi-Fi I went to sleep but first thing in the morning I called my host I said you know I can see the internet the router's name but what's the password internet password See, that's the first thing we want to do. But when you are in the wilderness, there is no network. (laughs) Praise God. No network. Even if you have a satellite phone, I mean, most of us don't have a satellite phone, you have a phone, you won't get a tower, no network. So no signal, no Wi-Fi, and no charging point. In the wilderness so wilderness is a wonderful place where you are totally cut off from everything no outside communication no television no internet no radio no nothing only you and God when you have nothing all your life all your time until you go to sleep from morning to evening You can spend time praising, worshiping, talking with God or reading the word of God. So the Lord Jesus was in the wilderness 40 days and 40 nights. That was his personal time of meeting with God. And in the wilderness, he had visitations from God. When he came out of the wilderness, he had his revival there. Because the Bible tells us, That when he came out of the wilderness, Luke chapter 4 verse 14 says, And he was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit when he came out of the wilderness. And when he came out of the wilderness with the power of the Holy Spirit, A revival broke out in his ministry. You read in Matthew chapter 4 verses 23 to 24 that after he healed one person, His fame spread out everywhere And people came flooding To meet him Where he was That's revival isn't it Revival In the same way This can happen in this church In your church In your ministry And even in your personal life People can come flocking to you To get the word from you You can become a distribution center of the power and the glory of god not just a church even an individual individual you become a demonstrative center of the power and the glory of god so the people who are all gathered below the mount and before anything else the first thing you will read is In Exodus chapter 19 verse 3, Moses went up to seek God. You know, God promises you, I want to meet with you. I want to speak with you. I want to show my glory to you. I want to pour forth my power in your midst. I'm going to give you a revival. He gives you a promise. But that does not mean you go about your daily routine of your life and do nothing about it you must prepare you must prepare and take the first step to seek god and that's what we read here the prophet moses doing he took the first step to seek god god told them when you come to this mountain you will serve me and worship me two things there please take note of those two words serve me and worship me these two are very very important words because it not only applies to the children of israel in the wilderness it also applies to us in these last days and what god is going to do not only in these last days to us but what he do to you will continue in the millennium and it will also continue in heaven it goes on and not only in heaven but also in the life thereafter you see you know I'll tell you one secret okay we know our life on this earth how it's going to go on we know all that But we do not know anything about how life is going to be during the millennium. Am I right? Because the Bible doesn't say much about that. It just says there's going to be 1,000 years of reigning. Okay, what are you going to do for 1,000 years? We don't know. Right? We do not know yet. Okay, this is part one. Now, the other part. And then the new heavens and the new earth. What are we going to do in the new heavens and the new earth farming we do not know yet right okay now the most puzzling part is the other one before the new heavens and the new earth comes people die today right they die today they don't live forever you know so before the coming of the lord jesus those people who die we know that the righteous are in heaven am i right everybody Okay, what do they do in heaven? No, 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 no. Not worshipping all the time. You know, this is a wrong understanding we have in our mind. Heaven is not one entire thing of just praise and worship. That's wrong. The reason why we have such a wrong connotation is because the aspect of heaven that is shown to us in the Bible is about where all the angels are always praising god all the time but that is just only one aspect about heaven one aspect of heaven where the sons of god will gather on a certain day to worship god just like what we do once a week we come there's an appointed time everybody comes together to worship god that is takes place once a time on a corporate level Then there are angels of God created for the sole purpose of continuously worshipping God day and night. And the reason is because they need to praise God to lift up that incense to cover the whole of heaven with a protective shield from the consuming fire of God. That's why praise and worship goes on continuously in heaven. It builds a shield to cover the rest of heaven. Okay, this is one part. Then the other part, you look at the 24 elders. What is the purpose of the 24 elders? Why are they seated there? What are they doing? They are not just seated on the throne, just doing nothing, right? And look at the cherubim. What is the purpose of the cherubim? What is the purpose of the four living creatures what is their purpose there must be a purpose right and then in ezekiel you read about the will now what is the purpose of the will why the wills are there and then you read about michael the archangel who is a warrior why have a warrior angel right what are we going to do in heaven there must be a purpose There is a life that goes on the things which are not revealed to us yet so these are the many things that which we need to prepare ourselves for the things that are revealed to us in this wonderful Bible is sufficient enough for our salvation and for our redemption to bring us to heaven but There is another life from then onwards there is another life that goes on continuously the scripture says in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 that the great cloud of witnesses are watching us am I right everybody okay now I'll ask you one question since all of you are very smart if everybody is continuously praising and worshipping God in heaven all the time then where do the cloud of witnesses get the time to watch us? <laughs> you tell me. Where do they get the time? So obviously, this, the cloud of witnesses could not have stolen themselves away from worshipping God to pick into our lives. Am I right? No. So something is wrong there. And look at, that, look at that amount of transfiguration experience. Moses and Elijah, they appeared before the Lord Jesus. So, if they were all involved in praising God all the time, how did they end up on the Mount Tabor? See? So, somewhere along our understanding is all wrong. Our understanding is inaccurate. We don't have the full picture yet. So, if, if all the created beings are worshipping God all the time, Where did Gabriel found the time to come down to speak with Mary? Or speak with Daniel? Where did he find the time? If everybody are involved in praising God all the time. You see, we've got it all wrong. So there are many, many activities that go on in heaven all the time. And we'll all have our different parts to play. Roles to be involved in. So, they were called to serve God and to worship God on this mountain. The calling was given there. But Moses then went up to seek God. How do you want to worship us? How do you want us to worship you? How do you want us to seek you? What should we do now? What should we do to see your glory? What should we do to seek your face? What should we do? You should start the ball rolling by seeking God. If you don't ask, God will not speak to you. God is a great, wonderful gentleman. If you don't open your mouth and ask, He will not tell you. So you must take the first initiative. Of course, he has already given you the invitation. Sometimes you know, God will stir your spirit man to create a desire, to create a longing, to pull you to himself. Have you experienced that? He creates that. So that you will then take the next step of responding to that stirring. If you don't do anything about the stirring, then the stirring will stop. Let me give you a very good example. In John chapter 5, by the pool of Bethesda, a lot of sick people gather, are gathered there waiting for the stirring of the waters. Because it is a traditional belief that at a certain time of the year or certain time, an angel of healing will come, and he will just stir the waters. And as soon as the waters is stirred, the first person to jump into the water is totally healed. Now, it cannot be a fable because all the sick people are gathered there. So it is a true fact. Now, when the waters are stirred, people have to respond by jumping into the water. If nobody jumps. Even though the angel will keep on stirring and stirring the water until it builds up a tsunami. (laughs) No one is going to get healed. You have to respond. You have to respond. You have to take the first step of seeking God. And that's what we read the prophet Moses doing. He went up to the mountain to seek God. In the wilderness, you want to seek God. When you do that, then God will speak to you. And God told the prophet Moses, I am going to show myself to the people. But before I do that, here is a condition for my visitation. Nothing is cheap, you know. Or or rather, nothing is for free. Nothing is for free. It causes a price. If you are not willing to pay the price, then you will not enter in. You will just stay in the outer court. You know, very sadly, most people, will remain in the outer court in heaven. And very few people will be in the holy place and in the most holy place. If you look at the tabernacle pattern, it consists of three compartments. And the whole of Israel, they'll always be gathered outside at the outer court. And the priests, they involve in their activities in the outer court. And the sons of Levi, all of them are involved in works of God in the outer court. And then you move into the, most holy, the holy place. In the holy place, where there are three furnitures. The lampstand, the table of showbread, and the altar of incense. Only Aaron and his sons are allowed to enter into the holy place. Not the sons of Levi, not other people. So, Aaron had three sons or four sons. So, so it's about three or four sons plus Aaron. So, that's about five people allowed in the holy place. And in the most holy place, only the high priest is allowed, not anyone else. And plus Moses, he could walk in and walk out any time. But you see, the numbers gets reduced. It gets smaller and smaller and smaller. There were 12 disciples. Every one of them personally called by the Lord, hand-picked by the Lord Jesus. But, whenever at important times of, that happened in the life of the Lord Jesus, only three of them were with the Lord Jesus. What happened to the Nine somehow the nine were not part of the inner circle so only the three the three were part of the inner circle but among the three there was only one who remained till the end at the foot of the cross so you see 12 became three and three became one you know why because Only the one was willing to pay the maximum price. The ultimate price. What is the ultimate price? Revelation chapter 12 verse 11. They love not their lives unto death. That's the ultimate price. You don't don't love your lives even at the expense of death. Can you do that? That's the question mark. It's easy to say yes right now under good favorable circumstances. But, like the American sayings goes, when the rubber hits the road, then it's a different picture, you know. It's easy to talk faith standing here. But the faith that you talk here, when it comes down there, it's a different ball game right when you're faced with a situation you need to put into practice what you just preached there then it's a different picture then you face reality that what you preach there so easily thumping and jumping up and down is totally a different picture reality versus theory but the real test comes when you are willing to let all go that's the real test how much you are willing to let all go Thank you, Lord.